Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Rural Breakfast Matchdown Review uh, here on Rogue Opinions. I'm your usual host, Scott McLeod. And you may think it's been a, a week or so uh, space between your last couple of episodes. You know, it's been a while since that last episode went up. Well, it seems that technology hates us. Like, we're recording this over Zoom when we usually use Skype and all sorts of things have gotten our way. Technology, work, delivery men. It's a long road it's taken us to get here as we jump back on a different road that takes us to Backlash 2000. And joining me to talk about all of the goings-on, all the weird impressions, all the chaos and controversies that may arise during this episode is the one and only Samuel Preston. Oh, I tell you what, the anticipation for this one has gradually built up more and more. Not because of the fact it was a, an exciting show, that didn't really matter. It was more a case of whether or not we were actually going to get around to recording it at this rate. So <laughs> I am very curious to see what happens as we go through, because knowing our luck, whatever we're saying at the moment will crash. But let's live in hope and see what happens. <laughs> well, uh, we can only hope, we can only hope. I do, like... When I'm watching these episodes, it can take me a while to watch like the Raws and the SmackDowns because every couple of matches, every couple of segments, I'm pausing it to make very detailed notes for because I never know how long after I'm watching the episode we'll actually get around to the recording. And so, knowing my luck, if I don't keep a detailed enough note of it, I will forget it. And as somebody who's meant to be helping break this shit down for your for these people's entertainment, that would be a big mistake on my part. <laughs> Very much so. I can easily imagine, like, I have sometimes where I've watched an episode or a pay-per-view, and then as it's finished, someone's asked me, what is it like? And I go, do you know what? I don't actually know. It's just gone one pretty, pretty much in one ear and straight out the other in terms of memory. So this is why whenever I watch them, I always have Word document on one side and WWE Network on the other side, just so that I can make the notes as I go through. And it's the only way I can keep on top of it, I have to admit. I mean, one of the benefits, like if a segment, couple of segments of having back-to-back and a match is starting, I'll just start my notes during the entrance, especially if it's a Triple H entrance. I've got, I bought myself a good five minutes there. You uh, do all your notes and also go make a cup of tea and also some food and probably have a bowel movement and then come back and he's only just spat his water out. Yeah, I mean, I've done it before. I mean, I was in episode AEW when Cody's entrance started. I went to take the, I went to take something out to the bins. Came back, he only just got to the ring. <laughs> uh, it's funny because it's legit. It is. It's legit. I have done it. <laughs> I, need, I recommend you try it. But before we get into this episode of SmackDown, which took place on April thirteenth, two thousand, we have to go back a few days to April tenth, two thousand, on an episode of Raw that preceded it. Well, I will proceed to break down everything that I have, at least the main points, where it wasn't as good an episode as also the post-mania episode that I talked about in such detail last week, but we open up with my favourite thing of a recap of what happened on SmackDown before someone comes to the ring and requests that the, the video truck replay the very thing that they just replayed for you as if you didn't just fucking watch it, as if, like, I'm just wondering how so short were people's attention spans in the year 2000 when The Rock comes out and re- has them replay him hitting Vince with the chair at the end of last week's SmackDown, which we just saw in the opening to Raw. And, you know, he calls Vince out and Vince eh, tells The Rock that he's going to 
have a match uh, later tonight in a side of steel cage and that Rock, if he can win this cage match against a quote as yet to be named opponent, he will earn a WWF title match. And, you know, Rock basically threatens Vincent to not like try anything with him and Vince is saying the same to Rock, you know, they just want to talk. And then they finally start talking about the corporation and Vince talks about how I made the Rock. You were you were the corporate champion and he, he describes the Rock as being ungrateful. And I'm thinking like, yes, like we talked about, you know, Vince's motivations wanting to make, get his family back together, but also suddenly realizing like, yes, the Rock, I remember I made this guy a champion in the first place and he doesn't appreciate it. So yes, he's now off hosting SNL and all sorts of things and he's just not being very grateful. So I'm going to fucking screw that guy at the title and then the Rock basically talks about like makes another joke about like an Alamazanus or something, something, something up a up Vince's ass, which then spends proceeds Vince to spend the next five minutes talking about the Rock's obsession with feces, and then that's when Triple H, Shane, and Stephanie all come out, and Vince, uh, while the Rock's dragged by them, coming over and tries to with a chair, but the Rock gets him back in and once again hits Vince to the head with a chair. A bizarre segment to open Raw, to say the least. Sounds very bizarre, I have to admit. I think um, I was kind kind of glad that I didn't watch the war episode because the introduction to SmackDown pretty much sounds like it gets all of the best parts and just compresses it very well because I remember when I was watching the beginning of SmackDown, um, I was actually thinking to myself, this is a much better intro than the previous week. I liked the story that they were telling. It was very clear and concise. Um, What was especially interesting for me is that I actually remember watching not the episode of war but the episode of smackdown when it originally came out in 2000 because i always remember that opening intro and specifically who the rock was facing in the cage but i will allow you to reveal that mystery <laughs> yeah i'm sure people are waiting with beta breath if they haven't already watched smackdown already but before we get to that uh, triple h was a busy boy on uh on raw because they said at the top of the show that triple h will defend the WWF championship and then they try to make you believe that maybe Triple H will defend against The Rock inside that cage. That was never going to happen. Uh, and we get the reveal of Triple H's opponent. Clearly, after his stellar performance, even in defeat for the light heavyweight title last week, it showed this kid's got something. As Triple H defended the WWF title against Taka Michinoku, who came out not just with uh, his partner Funaki, but also came out with the EPAs for some backup. And the APA proceeded then to chase Shane McMahon in that away from ringside. Triple H continues his feud with Errol Hebner as Hebner gets in Triple H's face. Uh, and Taka actually gets a hell of a lot of offense. And fair to Triple H for actually giving Taka a lot here. Uh, he gets a DDT, a Hurricane Rana. Uh, Funaki ran with draw kicks Triple H uh, into the APA. And then who then just turn around and think, oh, fuck it, we're, we're, we're looking for a fight and start beating up Triple H. And Lawler gets about how all this is unfair because it's happening to Triple H. Taka gets a near two count after a moonsault. And then out come Bill Buchanan and the boss man to attack the APA, which then uh, allows Triple H to counter a Hurricane Ran attempt into a powerbomb and then hit a pedigree for one, two, three. Now, what was interesting is the crowd didn't pop really at all when they found out it was Taka Michinoku uh, facing these Triple H. They popped more for the APA being with them because the APA are starting to get over. I think they thought, oh, well, Triple H is going to be an easy win for that prick. And, you know, because he's totally chosen Tiger, who's really a nothing, positioned as a nothing guy. But the crowd really started getting into it. They didn't bite for the first few near falls, but the Minsoul after the APA like, got involved. The crowd really bit for that. 
So it wasn't as if they were like into Taka per se, even though he's very underrated. They were into the idea of Triple H losing the title. It's a good example of how good a heel um, Triple H actually is in that even against someone as unlikely as Takamichi Noku, he can give that audience that moment of dis- uh, disbelief that it's possible this could actually happen. Um, I like the way it interacts in terms of multiple storylines for that one in that you've got Triple H in the world title scene. You've got the APA in the tag team title scene, as well as Bossman and Bill Buchanan, but you have APA's actual gimmick of the protection agency, and you have the light heavyweight cha- um, division as well. It's a really interesting method of bringing these three different divisions together and actually going somewhere with it. It builds up Triple H in terms of being a malevolent heel who will do whatever it is to make himself look good. It builds up boss man and Bobby canning as, um, the, as these, um, lackeys that can provide on, t- on behalf of the bosses because they just want to hurt people. It builds up the APA in terms of what they're willing to do in, for their actual protection agency. Cause they could have easily had it. It was only for the low, lower levels and they wouldn't take on the big dogs. And this shows that APA basically don't care. They'll take on anyone as long as you've got the cash or the um, beer to provide for it. <laughs> and it even made Taku and Funaki look relatively good in that Taku had a good amount of offense. Funaki almost uh, had a great moment as well. And you're hoping that this would be an example where the crowd can go, actually, these two are, are capable. Maybe we can start seeing them utilize more in the light heavyweight division and, um, and actually challenge for the titles and that sort of thing. Whether or not that will happen, we will see over the next coming weeks. But booking-wise, this was that sounded a lot better than what we've been getting the last three weeks, I have to admit. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what they're doing with the AP, because as we'll get into on SmackDown, they're kind of doing with them, seemingly what they did with uh, Too Cool alongside Rikishi and uh, the months leading up to WrestleMania, like February and March, team, where there was this tag team that was getting over that then got to stand with the main eventers and the way that they presented it didn't make it look that like out of the of possibility that these guys could hold their own, even though too cool, like when there was a big multi-man match would often take the fall. They at least got to get that offense in alongside Rikishi. So it wasn't just about pushing Rikishi, it was about pushing too cool as well as and as a as a trio with Rikishi. And now the APA seemingly are getting that push as well without even having dead matches. They just had to be there and people know that if the APA get involved or some shit's gonna go down and talk about boss man began they would be revealed as the opponents in a two-on-one handicap match and uh jr is giving it all like oh but you said opponent you never said anything about opponents this is unfair to the rock and everything they do tease that it's going to be triple h but, like we thought of triple h is wrestling more than once a night we got that one time before unforgiven he's never doing that again on free tv uh he comes out he only does half his entrance to make you believe it but it still takes a while and then out come boss man beginning and they won't dominate pretty much too on for the most majority of the match until a boss man accidentally gets hit by Bill with a close when Bill accidentally closed lines, a boss man which allows the rock to a rock bottom on Bill for a very quick win. I'll be honest with you, compared to the Ben Walkie match we got a couple months ago, this was thoroughly underwhelming as a cage match. <laughs> and then after the match, as soon as literally as soon as the rocks uh, got the pin. The key store is unlocked. The heels are in there. They're all beating up the rock. They bust them open the chair and they're going to pedigree them on the chair and the AP come out to then make the save. So AP get a big rub on a 
on Raw and they're going to continue a SmackDown. And we get that in the recap at the start of SmackDown. But one or two things I'm going to mention from Raw before we go into uh, not just Triple H, it continues to have an issue with uh, Earl Herbner. Earl Herbner has an issue with the entire DX McMahon coalition because uh, DX, and represented by Road Dog and Xbox, got a tight team title match against Edge and Christian. And you know, it was a very, very decent match. I actually would recommend you go back and watch it. You know, it's very short. You have Xbox spin water in Christian's face. <laughs> but uh, there's actually a point where Tori distracts Edge and the referee allowing Road Dog to hit Christian with a tight team title belt. And actually, like, the count, and then he's explaining me the pin, and actually gets a free count. And I'm like, like, what? I don't remember DX ever being Xbox and Road Dog being challenged. I mean, they'd be good as heel chance, but I never thought this would happen. And then another referee comes out, tells Herbner what happened. He restarts the match. Edge hits a spear and Edge and Christian retain. And so now that's given further ammunition for the, the heels to think that, that Earl Hebner is against them and everything. So that was a really smart thing. It was really early in the Raw card and not really talked about a lot on SmackDown, but I thought that was a really good continuation. Even though this segment with, with, with Hebner last week was very boring. When he came out at the end of SmackDown, you remember, and then Vince pulled him out of the ring and stopped him counting. And then you got this here. It furthers the idea that, you know, the McMahons don't trust the WF referees, which explains why they appoint their own referee at the upcoming match at Backlash. I, I feel like this is a good example of how you're starting to see really intelligent booking come into fruition. Um, we be like, it's these little details of having these moments that gradually build up to an overall picture. So it's like, yeah, we um, they may not give big attention to it on another episode. Saying like, oh, you know, I'll have no had this situation happen with DX in a tag team match and that sort of thing. But it means that those who are watching get to actually see these intricate little moments that builds up the storyline. And it's the definitely the sort of booking style that rewards fans for actually going back and re-watching such as this, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to having it that is just a one-off and you don't care. Um, it's one of the things I'm looking most forward to if I hopefully continue on watching all of these SmackDown episodes with you is being able to see um, the intricities and the actual moments where one segment beautifully shifts into another and all these little build-ups that occur and these moments. And I, it, it gets me excited, I have to admit, for what's coming ahead. And it's just really, it's really good to see how good the booking used to be and how good it can be because it just gives you more hope. Um, and I don't even think this is WWE necess- or WWF at the time necessarily firing on all cylinders, but it's the beginning of them starting to fire on multiple cylinders and you're starting to see what they could be at their best. And you're watching that fruition come to come come to shape. And I I cannot wait, I have to admit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll actually get into SmackDown now where we have that recap of the end of Raw with the Cage. And Rock did win, so he does get a WFT match. And they do confirm, I think, later on that it's going to be at Backlash. So I think if you're even if you're watching, then you could probably assume that it would be at Backlash because uh, they're not going to give that kind of match away. Hopefully, you you told they wouldn't give that match away on free TV. And then we get into the first match. Not before we hear Michael Cole his opening line on the show is the Rock has a WF title shot, but at what cost? Like, what are you talking about? Like, he knows what he's getting into. He, he said last week he doesn't care. He got what he wanted. Why are you claiming that the rock hole? But what cost? Well, like, 
yes, he might get de- double teamed or beaten. He may get ganged up on. We saw that happen on Raw. Oh no, he's going to have the exact same thing happen as did in the previous three months. Oh no, it's just going to continue. Give over, <laughs> Michael. Stop trying to drum up interest. Last week, you annoyed me doing that, so don't do it this week. All right, Michael? <laughs> and we go into our opening match. It's Rikishi getting another bloody title match to open uh, SmackDown this week. This time, he's going after the European title, uh, def- uh, defended by Eddie Guerrero, who retained over Chris Jericho on Raw and a match that was pretty much, for the most part, exactly like their match from the previous week where Jericho was dominant and trying to help them, Eddie get the win. So again, Eddie is very much the submissive male to the more dominant female in China. Uh, main difference here was he had uh, Jericho basically classic jokes in the time, asking China and Eddie, which one of you is the man in the, this relationship? And like, it's maybe like, oh, isn't that funny? But it cuts back to them and China's just pointing at Eddie like him, definitely him. And I don't think it's may imply something about Eddie's Sexual prowess, we'll say. But, um, <laughs> but then, obviously, so Eddie retains on Raw. He's defending here against Akishi. And Eddie gets on the microphone. He says, it would be horrible if somebody from Dallas, Samoa, won the European title. Nobody knows where the hell Samoa is. And then starts going on about his uh, Spanish ancestors. And it was a really decent match to start the show. I mean, the ref gets, they do a ref bump in the opening match, uh, like a few minutes in. So, I mean, start as you mean to go on. Uh, like, that's the kind of style of match we're having now to open the show, is it? Uh, China smashes a vase of flowers that she's got from Eddie over Rikishi's head, but still manages to, he still manages to kick out too. That's that hard head coming back into play. China gives Rikishi a clothesline and fair play to him. He still does that inside out bump that he does very well. Mm-hmm. He manages to get in the stink face, but eventually uh, the ref catches a low blow and Rikishi gets the win by DQ. But Thankfully, Eddie and Shana were able to leave without Rikishi having to hit a bonsai like he did on Benoit last week. Um, I thought Eddie's promo beforehand was unsurprisingly good. Um, You always want to start off an event with people who are going to get the crowd invested and get them jumping up and excited. And you've got an out-and-out babyface favourite in Rikishi, who has had enough flirtation with the main event scene that he he can be a legitimate big deal coming out first, while Eddie is, of course, Eddie freaking Guerrero. He doesn't need much in order to be good. And as a heel, he is that perfect blend. Um, I I, I thought that even though the finish was a little bit disappointing, I actually didn't mind overall because I thought the match was so much fun. It was mm-hmm. just, it was like a level of ridiculous night. Like, right. First of all, we've hit, hit Rikishi with a glass of glass fires of roses that didn't work. So they stack another one on top where they do that close on it flips him in the air. He still kicks out and Eddie's thrown out of the ring. We're going to go on to the third section and keep on going and going and going and getting bigger. And it just felt like a real, like, oh, let's see what we can do next. And the ridiculousness of it was complete and utter fun. Um, I was a little bit curious about the re- about the fact that China seemed to take the stink face with her mouth open, uh, which very much worries me. Uh, and then afterwards, when she's like 
motioning to Eddie and he's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm like, yeah, but Eddie, I don't see you exactly rushing to kiss her considering she was pretty much tonguing Rikishi's fong. Um, so a um, li- li- little bit strange, that one. But um, overall, for an opening segment, I thought this was really good. In fact, there was only even close to one negative, I would say. And that was the fact that even though Tony Chimo mentioned the fact that it was going to be a European Championship match, it wasn't until China came out that Jerry Lawler realised that Eddie was defending the title. And I was just like, right, thank you, King, for displaying how much of a fucking imbecile you are less than five minutes into the show. You know, start as you mean to go on, just like the match. But apart from that brief moment... I have no complaints about this match or this segment. I had to admit, overall, I had good fun. Yeah, I had no problems with that. I mean, especially having after I watched that match, Jericho was a lot better than that Jericho match. And I think we're seeing more of the Indian chain that we're going to expect to see in the next couple of months rather than the version that they were uh, portraying recently. So I think we're starting to see a little bit of a, a change here. But it was a solid... I always enjoy getting a title match to kind of open the show. It's interesting that, you know, the Radicals... Uh, they, they still associate uh, as a member of the Radicals like they talk about well three of the four members of Radicals own gold it could be all four later tonight and we'll get to that later on but so Eddie still considered a member of the Radicals even though he's not been involved in any segments with them since Wrestlemania and the, since he got with China like there was a match a weird trio of Scotty Tuhati Rikishi and Taz taking on Malenko Saturn and Benoit in this past week's Raw Eddie didn't get involved whatsoever the Radicals got the win there but Eddie had nothing to do with that, so it's very weird. Like when exactly they'll find when exactly the moment will come when Eddie is officially considered no longer part of the radicals and just his own thing. Because if he's technically part of the radicals, does that means for this brief moment, China was part of the radicals and nobody realised. Mm. It's basically as soon as Eddie got um, was successful, it's like by radicals and left them behind, <laughs> and it's probably a case of like Benoit's got a title, Malenko's got a title, Eddie's got a title, and then he's like. I don't really want to stay with Perry, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make my own thing. So I'm just gonna be on my way. Uh, I'll see I'll see you later, guys. Hi, Mama Sita, and on he goes. <laughs> I know it's, it's a weird moment. You gotta think it's gonna be over in backlash, if not sometime after backlash at the very least. That uh, we finally get confirmation that Eddie's no longer part of the radicals. And now I look at my notes. It's been a while since I watched this episode, so I feel weird actually saying this sentence out loud. Triple H feeds grapes to Stephanie as they watch The Rock arrive to the arena. As it's Triple H, Stephanie, and uh, Shane in a locker room backstage. They've got all this fruit and everything on the table, and Triple H is feeding grapes to Stephanie. And then they cut to TV where they see The Rock arriving at the arena, cutting a bit fine. I mean, even the heels got there on time. Mm-hmm. I know they're sitting a bit maybe at, I don't like, oh, they're loving it up in their private dressing room. But like, Rock, you might be the good guy, and you're arriving late. What example are you setting? Will somebody please think of the children? Will uh, nobody think of the children? <laughs> Shane and then all come out to the ring and Shane's going on about how proud he is to have Triple H as champion, but also to have him as his brother-in-law. Uh, we weren't saying that a few weeks ago. And you yeah, have Stephanie confirming that when Triple H faces The Rock after the title, she says that Vince will be in trouble says that Vince will be in Triple H's corner. And then Triple H talks about how I am the game and Rock, I'm going to beat you because I am that damn good. I mean, I'd forgotten exactly what I said. I pretty much tuned him out. I put here, Triple H talks about how he's going to beat the Rock. So I'm pretty sure he said words to 
to that effect. <laughs> and then you have The Rock coming out, and he refers to Shane as, quote, a silver spoon candy ass, and Stephanie he refers to it as a bargain basement bitch. <laughs> you got to love his use of motivation. <laughs> Oh, his his use of language is absolutely fantastic. He's he's such a word poet. I'm pretty sure that it's good. Those are quotes will be up there with like Oscar Wilde and William Shakespeare, and then you just have a uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, basement dwelling bitch, uh, <laughs> sort of. It. Um, I was similar to you in that I sort of like um started to basically tune out Triple H and Stephanie and Shane. I mean, Shane's love fest for Triple H was enough to nearly make me lose my lunch. So that's why I started to tune it out a little bit. And it was eight minutes of them put, <clears throat> putting themselves over. And then thankfully, someone came in to inject some life into the segment to save us. Mm-hmm. And so The Rock is running down Triple H and Stephanie, everybody. And then Triple H is also offended of what The Rock said about Stephanie. He teases that they're going to have their WTA match there tonight before reveal, and it's going to happen at Backlash. And then they make a six-man tag match for the main event, where it's going to be The Rock teaming with the APA against Bill Buchanan, Bossman, and Triple H. And I'll be honest with you, I was more excited for that main event than I had been for a main event of SmackDown in the last few like weeks that we've watched this. So, you know, I was very decent main event for this week's uh, episode. And, you know, well, in Big Barry, you've only been in the company a month and you're already in the main event. Main event, Barry. <laughs> uh, I, <clears throat> I have to admit that I was similar to you in that. The last couple of SmackDown episodes, the main events have been very... Um, uh, gotten to a point of wearing me down and being less, <laughs> less looking forward to because it was just the same thing again. But what... What I'm loving, and I've actually, I've actually only just thought about it recently, was the fact that if you look at it, the main event scene of WWF at the time was actually very weak. If you think about it, Austin wasn't back from injury at that point, even though they were expecting him to be. Foley is just retired. Big Show wasn't really working in it. Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, all of that lot weren't ready. The only real two major main events they had was the Rock and Triple H. And what's clever here is that in order to build up for that big show, they're going to start bringing in mid-carders and making big six-man tag team matches and and, um, two-on-two matches and handicap matches. And they're going to utilize the lower level in order to really add to it and build up the anticipation, which is a lot better then three weeks of rocking Triple H facing each other before they actually get to the pay-per-view, which is unfortunately something that WWE rely on too much nowadays. I mean, you pretty much can have it that two wrestlers will face each other five times and then decide that they'll have it at a pay-per-view, by which point you no longer care. But the fact that the rocking Triple H only ever seem to get their hands on each other is attacking after a match or in a multi-man match really get, allows you to enjoy those brief moments that these two actual main eventers are battling one, and each, one another and it makes their one-on-one match seem that much bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree because I think uh, like the next couple of months is where it's, where it's going to be Brock, uh, Triple H for the most part in the main events. I mean, The Undertaker will be back soon. You've got Kane there. Uh, who can usually be relied upon in the event they just pop him in randomly and they will do over the years just friendly. Oh, and also Kane's here, he's a contender because he's big and scary. Mm. And all the while they're building 
main eventers for the next few months, like uh, Angle is being built up all the while. Rikishi has already got his wee moment in the spotlight, but he's been built up for future things, which unfortunately don't really work out. I don't think how they wanted them to, uh, for reasons we're a couple months away from explaining. Mm. And yeah, like I said, Austin's out. I mean, Austin only got brief appearance, but then has to go away again before he's fully ready to come back. Uh, they do flirt with Jericho, like Jericho and Ben Watson, but they're the fans I don't think are quite ready to accept them. Yeah, at least not the like the WWF fans, even though the your internet fans of the day, even though the internet was fairly early in 2000, would be like all behind it. Not everybody was ready to accept those guys in the main event just yet. So I think it's the fact that Rock and Triple H, as much as we can take the piss out of Triple H's long promos and sometimes Rock's, things Rock says are funny, but sometimes don't make sense. They are such big personalities and together when they did have matches had such great chemistry that I don't think anybody cared that it was just these two mm. um, they were very good at utilising their major strengths and their matches at their ta- at this time and Rock was legitimately the biggest baby face in the company like Austin was gone but I'd go so far as to say you did not miss him because of the Rock and Triple H just went from strength to strength as not only a heel, but as a competitor. And there's a reason why the year 2000, when we look back, will overall be seen as one of Triple H's best in-ring years. I mean, we slightly hinted to it earlier on, the fact that you mentioned he gave a lot of offense to Takamichi Noku, which doesn't seem like that big a deal, but it's the fact that he was, he, as we will see, he was bringing it in the ring every time he appeared during this year. And... He was so fantastic at making the fans hate him, which they needed. They needed someone who was a proper heel for them to latch onto and absolutely hate because it was gone. It had gone past the point that Vince was a little, could be, could still be used because without Austin, it was just a repeat. So they had to create something new. And the Rock and Triple H have always had fantastic chemistry. Look at their IC title bouts, etc., mm-hmm. and gradually build up to it. And it just, it makes sense, and it's also the perfect placeholder for them to get away for it, away with it for, like, say, two to three months until all of these big stars start returning, like Undertaker, Kane, Austin, other wrestlers start getting pushed up a little bit more, like Jericho, Angle, Benoit, Rikishi, etc. And by the end of the year, you will see the overall fruition of this in that you could have almost eight wrestlers, you could say, could be in a main event and you wouldn't be necessarily surprised. Not all of them were as successful, but by the end of the year, you had gone from maybe two to three at a push to a full eight. And that's because of the tremendous work we're about to see over the next couple of months. Mm, I did agree. I really like that you brought up that match. Their matches with AC Taylor, like that ladder match, especially at the SummerSlam 98. I think I'm in the minority. I think I prefer that to either of the, the Ramon Shawn Michaels ladder matches. I'm not saying those are bad ladder matches, but personally I prefer the Rock Triple H one because it's still a fairly early in the use of the ladder match. And even I'm still in the minority, but I think in the 95 one is technically a little bit better than the WrestleMania 10 ladder match. But I think both of them aren't as good as this match because uh, you really got to see some development in that ladder match between Rock and Triple H in the ways of using a ladder. But it goes to show that you guys have always had such like good chemistry together. 
and I'm talking very positively. I mentioned matches from two years prior to this because I don't want to talk about what's coming up next. Because, yeah, I, did know, feel, about- I did feel you were starting to prolong uh, for a specific reason. And unfortunately, your time has run out, Scott. You have to go on to the next segment. I mean, talk about losing your lunch. Uh, <laughs> so we have Al Snow and Steve Blackman at an old folks home. Yeah. Because... Because Steve Lagman, because of Al Snow, has made all the arrangements, has arranged for Steve to do some stand-up comedy for old people. Through some stand-up that Al has written for him and is giving him cue cards. <laughs> oh, oh, I think what I remember this segment from when I was a child, and I'm not going to lie, I loved it as a child, and all I was thinking was, please hold up. Um, it started off great. As soon as the uh, snow turns around to Steve Blackman and says, here's your, here's your material, not them dead, not literally. We don't need any more trouble after the cow. <laughs> and then just moves on. And I'm like, yes, Al. Yes, you tell him. And I was just like, this is the moment I was like, oh, I'm so looking forward to it. And I, I feel you should really enjoy this as well because this, is, this would be really good material for your article. Oh, yeah. I don't think. So we mentioned so we'll bring that up for people who maybe listening to us who didn't get to check out Reen's uh, live stream. Absolutely, I would like you to go into deep detail about what it is we're referring to and why, just to explain for those poor audience members who missed out on it. So what happened was uh, Reen, uh, who now a new member of Fogapings, also goes to the hallway grabs, uh, well, I guess the hallway wrestling podcast, sorry, and he posted a 12-hour live stream for a mental health charity in Ireland, raised over a 1,000 euros for that charity well into him, uh, far exceeding the goal that he originally set of over 750. So me and Sam, as part of this, we had a f- series of debates. We had five topics to debate, and the loser would have to then take part in a punishment of the winner's choosing as well as making a donation to the charity, which <laughs> well, the donation part is not too bad because it's for a good cause, so who, who, who cares about that part? You know, So... The punishment bit was I suggested it would really be him describing it here on the podcast or on the stream, but then we said once I heard his to make it an article form. If I if I won, Sam would have to write an article in a lot of detail talking five reasons as to why C Blackman is shite. And now I and then I lost because uh, Sam is the biggest Alberto Del Rio fan in the world. He confirmed it there. He will try and deny it, but everybody tweet him to give him your thoughts on Alberto W. DMM him at Big Bad of Bruce. <laughs> uh, so he won in that final debate, but I stood tall about Iron Brew and Tea. So I feel like I'm the real winner in that regard. Uh, so I, I'm currently sat here celebrating with my Dr. Pepper and um, fried Mars bar. So I'm happy. On it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're fucking it. I hope you're fucking. As long as I don't wash it down with Iron Brew, I'm all happy. I will hunt you down, honestly. <laughs> I will fucking hunt you. But then I lost. And so at some point, when I find the time, you know, I am a busy man and everything. You know, I've got this, i got a, a day job. Uh, i got a dog to look after. So uh, when I get the time, I will write a article giving five reasons. If it's still word count and everything. Uh, between 1,200 and... 1500 words. I say I should be able to stop dead on 1200, but he says no, it should be 10% off 1500, which I believe is bullshit. This is not an exam. 
Uh, yes, five reasons why <laughs> Steve Blackman is more entertaining than Kane. Not better. Press that, because Carl is going, oh, is there no five reasons why he's begging? No, not better. More entertaining. There is a difference. <laughs> I mean, Eddie Guerrero, like, uh, Dean Malenko is technically better than The Rock in terms of wrestling and certain other aspects, but he's definitely not more entertaining. Those are, that, that is the difference. So at some point, I'll get around to that article and I'll uh, send it off, run a shower, crawl to the bottom of that shower, cry a little bit. I feel it would be perfect if you could get that article ready for when we do our recording of Backlash, just to coronate the scene. Um, I think it would go perfectly, don't you? I hate you. <laughs> uh, uh, just think, this is material good enough for Steve Blackman to tell the old people so. So the next segment, we have the Hardy Boys <laughs> taking on Dean Malenko and... Chris Benoit. Is it weird that Benoit and Malenko coming in as champions? You know, Benoit holding the Ergon El Teo, which should be the second most important championship in the WWE, but it still feels like a bigger deal for them to be facing the Hardys rather than the Hardys to be potentially to potentially win this match to get a shot at either title. I think what helps is that um and not many people may realize this, but Malen- even though Malenko and Benoit are Singles, cha- singles champions, they actually have a long history as a tag team on and off since 1994. So they have been previously tag team champions in both ECW and WCW. So this, to some degrees, would have been a big moment because that would most that would probably that would have made them that would have actually made them, I think, the first ever triple crown tag team champions in history, which is why as soon as they came out, I was like, oh, this will be excellent, especially as they work really well together. Um, and to some degrees, I think they were two of the strongest wrestlers at the time that it would have been believable for them to have two titles. They were a legitimate threat to the Harney boys. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a, a solid match. I was looking forward to it when I seen that, you know, when I seen it was up next. I was just grateful for the Blackman segment to be over, but then we had to go back later on. <laughs> and both teams do have some really, like, cool-looking double-team offense. You have the Radicals especially hitting, like, a drop kick into a Bridging German suplex on that. There's a spot where Jeff comes in, he gets that brief flurry, but then he gets to get worked over, you know, be that valiant boo-face that he is. Uh, you even have a uh, powerbomb kind of clothesline combo from the Radicals. I think I've seen likes of uh, Benjamin, Shelton Benjamin, Chad Gable, when they were randomly a team, they used that as a finisher. But Jeff does manage to fight back in the back suplex. Hardy's then started getting rolling, you know, they hit the poetry in motion on Dean Malenko. But then it just looks like the, the radicals have things in hand. Uh, Jeff uh, hits a swanton bob on Dean behind the referee's back, allowing Matt Hardy, who was down previously, to then roll over and get the win. So you can see in the way the Hardys, you know, had to use their cunning to get a win. So even though you know, Malenko and Benoit, I said two singles champions, also one single title seeming with more value than the other, it's still a big win for the Hardy boys. You know, they had to just get out because they, because the Malenko and Saturn were dominant, Malenko, Malenko and Benoit, sorry, were dominant for quite a lot of this tag match. 
Absolutely. I think um, <clears throat> you can see very quickly how good Malenko and Benoit are at cutting the ring off and putting Matt under pressure. And that really um, t- uh, ties back to their history as tag team champions. It makes them look more legitimate how quickly they're able to do it, especially against former tag team champions like the Hardy Boys. Um, what's interesting about this match is that you is that of these four men, uh, three of them would go on to, le- uh, to lift world titles in WWE. And the fourth is one of the most expe- uh, respected technical wrestlers in history. Now, this match ended up lasting about nearly seven minutes, which is the equivalent of an epic at this time in WWF. But that is so great to see because what you're actually getting is a demonstration from WWF where they are utilizing their great mix of talent because I reckon just a month ago, this probably would have been a three and a half minute match and we would have been like, I wish I'd seen more. Whereas this time, they're given the time to wrestle. They have time to cut the ring off, to build up to that, um, to the Hardy Boys come back. And, and you can see the crowd getting into it and, entertain, and getting entertained. And even the finish is quite good because it demonstrates the Hardy Boys having the more recent history as a tag team, being able to take advantage of the referee being distracted. Um, but Benoit and Malenko are still kept relatively strong because of the fact that they, that the Hardy boys almost just got away with it. So both of them come out looking very well. The Hardy boys look intelligent and capable of utilizing their experience to their advantage and getting a big victory. Whereas Malenko and Benoit demonstrate how good they can be as a tag team and that all it takes is a one one mistake, but they could just as easily have won. So I felt like there were so many positives that came out of this match. You could have it Benoit and Malenko look like a legitimate tag team and can be an option. Uh, you've got it that the Hardy boys get a big victory and can use that to catapult them and back into the tag team championship run. Uh, you could have a growing rivalry developed between them. You could have future matches where Jeff and Matt challenge for titles. I I didn't have a single negative about this match. In fact, I would go so I'll go so far to say overall, I really enjoyed this match. Yeah, and I, I, I get what you're saying about the, the seven minutes saying that seemed like an epic at this time because I like complain a lot in this show about like, the length of matches sometimes and how the fans seem like don't get interested but a match to go over a certain length. But I found it, I'm finding ever so often as time goes on with this uh, with this review and the more matches I'm watching this era that even I get to a point where a match goes over a certain length I'm thinking to myself, God, this match has gone on a bit, isn't it? Even though <laughs> by today's sense it probably hasn't. I'm just like, geez, are they still are they still wrestling? Like, guys, come on. I mean, there's still a lot to get to. I mean, you want to wrap it up there because it's very rare that we actually see it on an episode of Smatter, even a Raw thing at the moment in this era where you have a match happen, it goes to commercial break, and then they go, what's going to happen? We come back, and they come back, the heels are dominating, a, a baby face or whatever. Like, you, like you expect now where matches like go over a certain time, go over a certain amount of ad breaks. Whereas in this year, it seems to be like, no, like we need to have all these matches done. Like, okay, you're out there, we've got five minutes until the next ad break. Make sure that match is done by then. Uh because every time you go in ad break, it's somebody walking through the back or oh, coming up next, this thing's happening. It reminds me of that thing that came out a few years ago where they had those that random spell of having two, two or three falls matches all the time. 
because Vince, oh, stated, yeah. because Vince said he didn't want any wrestling during ad breaks. So maybe that was the directive at this point. I mean, without the two, two or three falls matches, Vince maybe at this point doesn't like wrestling happening during the ad breaks. Well, then be better at directing, you idiot. You know, how's, here's, a, here's an idea. Um, have, the, have the ad break occur not during a match. If you aren't that inadequate at being able to time out, that's your mistake if it becomes an issue. Um, I have no sympathy in that, in that regards. Um, if, you, if, you, if you're going to have it that you cut to an ad break when someone's walking down a hallway, fair enough. That makes sense. Even better, have it that you're cut into an ad break as Triple H says he's coming out to the ring and you can come back when he's actually in the ring because that can save you five minutes of your life, which is perfect. Um, I I have no sympathy for Vince if he says, if he was saying at that time he didn't want the show going to ad breaks when wrestling is, is occurring. That's, that, that's your own rod you've made for your own back, okay? Deal with it. Um oh. You're making me annoyed now, Scott. Move on. <laughs> no, it, was, it just wasn't something I'd thought of until I wrote. It just made me think maybe that's why like, it wasn't something I'd thought of. I just wanted to get your take on it. But uh, backstage, Kurt Angle, again, for the second week of rule, just randomly says, oh, by the way, you can have a tag team title shot. And Triple H says to him, like, hey, me and Shane, we've got the perfect partner for you. We've got the big show. And Angle's all happy about it. And then Shane and Triple H are basically sniggering as soon as he goes away because they know that Big Show's going to come out in some sort of ridiculous outfit. Because Big Show had a match with Val Venus, which he lost by DQ, because he came out dressed as Val Venus. <laughs> and did, even did the Val, Val Venus voice, the, hello, ladies. <laughs> That's a terrible version of Val Venus, but I can't get, my, can't get that depth. Uh, at least I can't be asked, because I think very little of Val Venus, But Big Show then tried to do the Val Venus, you know, uh, making an innuendo, and basically compares his stick to the Titanic. And eventually, when he gets pissed off by Valvius, he gets DQ'd because he chokes Valvius with the wig that he was wearing to look kind of to have his hair look more like Valvius. So again, you think, oh, what is the big show going to dress up as later on? And trust me, I have thoughts on what the big show wears later on. I was actually very excited for this because this is a segment I remember from when it first occurred. Because I always remember Shane and Triple H both going five hundred pounds and then shane getting really excited and almost jumping his cue going the big show with a little flop of his head and uh and, and his arm rising in the air because he has to give it emphasis he's like the big show and that sort of thing. and i was like as i was watching this i was thinking to myself i think big show wears a kilt please 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 have it that big show wears a kilt and i was so excited for this even though it's ridiculous this is this is the proper nostalgia I'm getting watching this episode, I have to admit. And so far, I don't know whether you've realised this, I'm enjoying this much more than I did the previous week. I've noticed. <laughs> I mean, it would be hard, given what happened last week. I mean, I was going to say, no, I was going to make a joke about this being better than Hell in a Cell that happened recently. That's not much yeah, stretch. I mean, I turned off Hell in a Cell halfway through, Shana, uh, halfway through Charlotte and Rhea. Not because their match was bad, just I was bored. I thought, I'd rather watch The Mandalorian. And so I turned it off. I haven't went back since. I know what happens. I know there's a whole thing about, oh, Drew took a bump through a crash pad or whatever. I just don't care enough to go back and watch the rest of Hell in a Cell. I struggle to watch WWE pay-per-views now, I have to admit. It's almost like a requirement as opposed to a pleasure. 
and it's even starting to happen with NXT takeovers. And it feels especially strange for me, considering that I could watch an entire AEW pay-per-view without any issue. But these WWE pay-per-views at the moment, I am struggling through so much. And half the time, I don't even finish them because it's just so painful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, on to more positive things, we've got the hardcore title on the line as Perry Saturn makes, looks to make it four for four in terms of the vertical timing titles as he challenges Crash Holly for the hardcore title. What, what does Perry Saturn do to get this title shot? Nothing. It just happens, as most of the matches in this year seem to on TV. Mm-hmm. So Crash immediately slides out the ring, starts grabbing all sorts of weapons. He whips Perry Saturn into the stats. And Perry Saturn, you'll really... Like, Crash does take his fair share of abuse in these matches, and it's, it's fun to see at times. Uh, with, like, Crash getting a power bomb on a street sign. They do try and exchange quick pin attempts until uh, they're past each other here with uh, trash can lids. And then, randomly, uh, something I did not, I actually did not see coming. I thought, okay, what's going to happen? Someone going to run out? What's Crash going to do to escape with the title? And then, Crash lifts up a street sign. He's going to hit, hit Saturn with it. He turns around, Saturn super kicks the sign into his face. Pins him and Perry Saturn wins the hardcore title until 30 seconds later. Uh, Taz comes in, locks in a Taz mission. Taz wins the hardcore title. And by the time that Toy Trouble can finish saying, Here's the new hardcore champion, uh, Taz, uh, then in comes Crash, hits him with a street sign, wins the title back, and fucks off. So for all of 30 seconds, all four members of the Radicals were champions in the WWF. And Saturn can dine out on that for the rest of the week. Um, <laughs> I I love the hardcore division, as you know. I always have great fun with it. Crash Holly is one of my boys. I love that lad. Um, so every time he survives, it's just, it just makes me feel happy, I have to admit. And um, seeing, I like the fact that there's a tie back to last week because you're having Taz coming and pinning Saturn for the title, considering that the two of them ended up getting into a big brawl last week and then got interrupted by The Rock. So I I just love that, um, that tie back that occurs and it makes it worthwhile to me. Um, I like the fact that Crash still somehow gets away with the title, um, despite the fact he actually lost the match. So it's all it's all stuff that I'm enjoying, and I it suits the hardcore division. And again, I'm not having any issue with this at all. I'm thinking I'm liking this segment because it's doing what it should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we talked a minute ago about like lengths of match times, but. For the hardcore deal, you can really excuse it. It was quick. It was a lot of fun. They packed so much just into the segment. And, you know, it goes to show that anything can. Because, again, like, for all three, uh, for, like, Perry Saturn and Taz's, like, brief reigns as champions there, they, it took, the reigns basically lasted as long as it took Tony Schimmel to announce them as the champion. That's how long the reigns lasted. And it's just so fun. Like, you can't really, like, it's kind of like what Truth did for a, while, a long time with the, or seven title where someone would win it, but then he quickly win it back by the end of the segment. Except it hasn't got steel yet by this point for Crash Holly, and it's still fun, unlike our mm. uh, truth today. And I'm just looking ahead at my notes here, uh, the stuff that's coming up. I would hold off on your opinions about how good this episode is compared to last week because I think 
because um, like even though you were already down in the last week's episode, there were aspects of it that really got good in the second half, even though the first half was abysmal. And I worry we're getting we're getting into the reverse this week where the first half is good, but it really takes a dive in the second half. So because we go next to back to the old folks home where <laughs> all I've put here is Al Snow is the only one laughing at Blackman's comedy, probably because he wrote it. But it's basically Blackman unnaturally reading stuff from the cards. David not the head of the jokes like, hey, what's the deal with airline food? Just just in his monotone voice, while Al Snow is just like slapping his leg, like pissing himself laughing while all these old people are like, I've not got very much time left on this earth. Why am I spending it listening to this man bore me? I have to say that I think uh, the quote, you stink, black man, may be one of the most memorable heckles I've ever heard. Um, Is that not the next segment? Is that not the next thing? No, I've I've got it in this one for some reason. I my notes, but to be fair, I'm loving Al, I'm loving it ridic- regardless. I am basically the only other person apart from Al Snow who is laughing. Um, so <laughs> I'm I am so happy watching this. I'm not going to lie. Um, you poor poor soul having to sit through these. For me, this this show doesn't is not dropping yet. I am still enjoying myself. We'll see how long that stays for both of us, shall we? We'll see, we'll see. I do I did feel slightly uncomfortable with this woman. Obviously, there's an old often assumption that a lot of little elderly people when you get to a series become very racist and people just seem to try and ignore it because they're old. But she seemingly she she seems to leave a quite a little bit of a space between saying Blackman's last name. I'm just gonna leave that out there. I'm just not saying this woman that's going Blackman is a racist. I'm just saying uh, I'm saying nothing. I uh, know. I will. I will just say. I also noticed the space, and I was mm-hmm. trying to ignore it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but next up, we have Kurt Angle coming out, and he's talking about how he's basically guaranteed to win the the tag team titles with uh, the Big Show. And right before we talk about Big Show, I have something I want to say about Kurt Angle from Raw, which made me laugh quite a lot. Here we go. Where is it? Uh, he took on me and Carl's uh, idol, the Godfather, on this past week's Raw. And also because he's going against the Godfather, who's a pimp who preaches, you know, selling women for sex and everything. Angle comes out and preaches the new thing he's a uh, crusader of, abstinence. And basically tries to encourage people uh, to, to, to take up abstinence. And he, he, he says this slogan, and I put it in word for word. You can prance and you can dance. Well, when it comes to relations, keep it in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a Kurt Angle line to say. I love that. I have to ask, is that possibly inspired by Homer Simpson? When he, I don't, remember, I don't know if you remember when he was Mr. Plow and he was dancing, you go, you can dance, you can dance. Everybody be in your pants or so like that. I feel like her anchor has been inspired by Mr. Plough from The Simpsons and turned it into an abstinence joke. Because this is going to be a thing, I think, for the next couple weeks. Randomly, uh, Angle takes up this random stance where he wants everybody to abstain from sex or for some reason. And like, it's weird because like, Jerry Lawler then has to help try and get on side and defend it. 
as the horniest person in the WWF, suddenly <laughs> has to then try and seem like he's also an advocate for abstinence, even though likely his face is really a great advocate for not ever having sex again. That Jerry Lawler defending abstinence is like Ares, the god of war, defending peace. It does not compute. It does not work at all. That is just ridiculous. And then, when Angle introduces the big show, we hear bagpipes. <laughs> and out comes the big show, dressed in a kilt, and I don't even know what that kind of hat's called. He's wearing a ginger wig. He's got weird ginger eyebrows. Uh, they say, oh, he's maybe like that bastard when he starts speaking in a terrible Scottish accent. Like, like, is that really what it's maybe? Is it just because he's a large man and he's speaking Scottish? You're making that assumption. I don't think maybe he's just trying to be genetic Scottish man, perhaps. It, uh, when he was talking, I just thought of you. So it, done, it sounded legit, uh, I thought. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> oh. Sam, may I have the floor? I, 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 am, I am more than happy to mute myself and allow you to have the floor. Please okay. proceed. Just as once. Just once at the floor. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are, as a society, trying to be a lot more inclusive, not trying to do anything, anything that may offend people of various cultures. You know, people seemingly taking things that belong to a certain culture were very much about cramping, clamping down on cultural appropriation. I would like to say to you that I feel personally as a Scottish man, this was very much cultural appropriation on the big show's part here. Just coming out in this theft, I said, oh, can't you see? I'm trying to have a little bit of fun, laddie. Like, you slip into Irish every so often. What are you meant to be? Like, funny thing is, Shrek's not even out by this point, so they can't even make that kind of joke. He's like, oh, and then he tries to say fucking fat bastard lines talking about how sexy he is. And like, this is not what Scotland needs right now. Not after that disappointment in the fucking Euros where we celebrated a nothing all draw with, with England. Like, we didn't win, but they didn't either. And then we got 2-1 by buddy Croatia and the Euros. Like, this, is Scotland not suffered enough that we have to have this fat prick who can't keep a Netflix series past one season coming out acting all Scottish because look at me, I'm going Hollywood, I'm having a little bit of fun. Like, fuck off, big show. <laughs> Oh, I'm not going to lie. The best image that came out of that was when you mentioned Shrek. And I suddenly had images of Big Show as an ogre with Shane McMahon playing Donkey. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, oh, I would watch that. And even best, I've currently got tickets to go and see Shrek the musical next year. So now I've got 12 months to try and get Big Show and Shane McMahon out of my head when I'm sat there watching the actual show. <laughs> Wait, let me know. When, when, you, when exactly next year are you planning on seeing this? Oh, this is the, this is the second time it's been delayed. It's a, um, I was supposed to be going this past Wednesday and they changed it to like June 2022. Um, so I'm pretty sure by the time I get around to seeing it, Shrek 6 is going to be out. Um, <laughs> that's my expectation. But <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Excuse me uh, just going back my calendar. Text Sam every day in June to remind him about Big Show and Shane being like Shrek and Donkey to ruin Shrek the musical. Uh, um, t- this is not at all re- re- me trying to get back to you for the Black Man article, you know, but 
I am not a petty man, but I will lie and wait for my revenge. <laughs> I'm I'll sure you will. If I have to. You, I, I can imagine so. The Scottish are used to waiting for long-term vengeance, obviously. Um, <laughs> so that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, I'm sure you're going to love the fact that I say that um, I thought, even though it was the worst Scottish accent ever, um, Big Show was inspired as he offered to show what's under his kill as he's dead no, sexy. No one wants to see that. <laughs> <laughs> and plus... We're meant to. He talking about how, how big his dick is on the raw in that match with a uh, uh, Val Venus, and then try to show off. Like I think he tried to overcompensate because I'm pretty sure there's a GTV segment in late '99 where he's standing at a urinal next to Val Venus, where it's implied he doesn't have a big dick at all. Because Val laughs and goes, "They call you the Big Show." The Big uh, Show is clearly overcompensating. To be fair, I'm in no rush to stop that man trying to overcompensate. Can can you imagine what he'll do to you? I mean, people will wonder for years how big his bitch is. Like everybody tweets the big show. I think it's at Paul White or something like that on Twitter. How big is your dick? <laughs> Hashtag, how big is the big show's dick? I want um, Adam Bajiti from Cultaholic to change his um, what happened to that wrestler where um, he has a quote line in the song that goes up, how big is Batista's dick? Uh, he now has to update with how big is Big Show's dick and <laughs> <laughs> and see if anyone notices at all. <laughs> I don't, let, me, let me just check something here. <laughs> I'm not Googling how big his dick is. I'm trying to see what his Twitter handle is. <laughs> Uh, um, I would like for when AEW do a UK tour for Big Show to come out for AEW Elevation in a kilt uh, just as a lovely tie back and just see your eyes basically pop out of your head and what looks like a gradual facial ticker car. <laughs> Hold on, i got to make another note. <laughs> take, take sign to AEW UK show for, for when Big Show comes out saying, how big is your dick? And then you can turn it around, and on the other side it says, because you said you're dead sexy. (laughs) (laughs) At Paul White on Twitter, by the way, everybody get on that, get in his DMs, even though they're not open. But try and get in there anyway. As much like I'm trying to do a lot to sneak in that, how big is your dick sign into that AEW show, I'm sure. Excellent. I'm sure. I'm sure Paul White will be more than up for that because he seems like a, um, definitely one of those that likes to have a joke. Um, so this is why this um, role actually suits him quite well. Yeah. So what, what gets all lost in all this is there is a tag team tail match to proceed. So I think I've lost interest in that. I want to talk more about Big Show and his shit accent to be honest with you because like this is just. It's bad enough we had this, but like now I think about it, it's the it's the best lot Scott we could hope for for Scottish people in WWE at this point. Because John Morrison years later dresses up, goes full Braveheart with a half blue face to take the piss out of Drew. They they've got Scottish people on NXT UK basically down to I'm Scottish and I'm angry. Or then Piper Niven, I'm Scottish, but I'm also big. And then Isla Dawn comes in, I'm Scottish but spooky. Like one of your main characters is being Scottish. And then you got no Andar. I don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like the only oh. thing, only thing we, Alicia Fox became a thing is because Vince apparently found his accent hilarious. And now even Drew himself has been coming out in kilts talking about Robert the Bruce and all sorts. Like 
WWE somehow managed to make me stop caring about Drew McIntyre. <laughs> well, to be fair, being Scottish can be a great personality trait. I mean, Sean Connery made a career out of it. So really, if you can time it right, it can work well. I have worked very hard to make not be to make being Scottish not my main trait here at Rogue Opinions. And then I have to watch fuckers like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Uh, I think I thought it was inspired. I have to say, um, even though this was a short match, again, I actually had fun watching it. Um, like having because the the thing is like as ridiculous as Big Show is being this character. I like the fact that even though he's shown having fun, he's still capable um, because you notice at the beginning that he pretty much takes control of the champions with relative ease. But the main issue basically is the fact that Angle doesn't like the fact he's having fun. <laughs> and that's what ends up um, costing them in the end. Yeah. Cause he does like, even while he takes some time, he you know, dance about, you know, at, uh, but daft uh, in this whole get he's gone oh, every so often it cuts backstage Triple H and Shane uh, like pissing themselves laughing at it uh, you gotta think Triple H like something that people probably haven't said is that also they've already started teasing that Stephanie thinks Angle is cute and Triple H doesn't like that and that was a big thing end of 99 at the start of this year and you gotta think Triple H hears a bit from Shane oh Big Show's doing this whole Hollywood thing and then Triple H thinks hmm Team him with Kurt Angle and really embarrass him because I don't like that Kurt Angle. So there you go. There's that. There's that, that long term thing going through. But yeah, Big Show is easily dispatching of the guy of the two guys that apparently won the greatest ladder match or greatest tag team match in WrestleMania history. That the way you're still going on about. But it's then when Angle gets tagged, once he's on tag himself, in that the team really starts to really unravel. And then Angle ends up slapping the Big Show. Which then Big Show then just beats up Angle, getting them both carried out, and they start going, "Oh, don't you don't want to piss the Big Show off? You know, he likes to have fun, but when he gets provoked, everything he's hard to stop." And what's even more open of a Big Show's gimmick at this point is that when he does this, or when he comes to his Valvinus, he comes out to like probably music that fits whatever he's dressed up as, but then he leaves, and he's and he has to leave to that weird WWF aggression. Well, it's the Big Show. Whatever the rap thing is, I'm not even going to try and attempt it. doesn't suit him at all. I mean, I know Mankind made a thing of it when he debuted of coming having a different leaving music to when he came out, mm. but Big Show is not suited for that. No, um, I, I was actually thinking of Mick Foley when you uh, mentioned the fact he comes out in one music and comes out in the other, but he, it doesn't work in, in terms of that character, but it does suit, if you think about it, that he comes out wanting to have fun and people keep on ruining it for him. So he ends up having that switch occurs, which makes him angry and um, violent and fixated on her and people, etc. So it actually is a really good character reveal each time that when he, if he comes out in these different music, such as like bagpipes or foul Venus music or the Godfather or whatever, that's him having fun. And if he leaves to that music, he's still having fun. But if he leads to his actual theme song, then someone has pissed him off. And I especially <laughs> love the fact that not only do Edge and Christian win by count out, 
you've got it that as soon as Big Show gets back in the ring with Kurt Angle, Edge and Christian sort of just roll out of the ring as if to go, nothing to do with us, and just walk away to leave Kurt Angle to get absolutely demolished, which is especially strange considering their future relationships. Mm-hmm. And it is weird because, like, Edge Christian were meant to start their heel turn after us, man. We saw that segment. I've seen that segment on. Like I seen that same one roll, they were kind of taking a piss at the Hardys for coming out second best and everything. And then just for that school, so we're just gonna go bide our time, you know, be in the background while, you know, Angle argues the likes of Harker Holly or the big show or like when DX continue their thing with El Hebner. So Edge and Christian went from quickly winning one of the greatest uh, matches in WrestleMania history to just being like, Oh, we're just gonna fade into the background for a couple of weeks until we're ready to get pushed again. It, um, it's definitely starting to feel like there's a little bit of a um, let's just kill a little bit of filler time before we start preparing for the next big tag team division matches and that sort of thing. It almost feels like they've gone, right, we don't want to burn out um, the matches between Hardy, Study Boys and Edging Christian, which actually shows a surprising amount of um, restraint from... Uh, the um, the actual writers and bookers and Vince, etc. Instead, they're going to have it that it's it looks like they're gradually going to maybe split them apart and have them feature in their own storylines, which would be quite impressive itself because then you've got three very good tag teams who are just as capable of um, being the... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? being the main driving force behind a storyline and gradually bringing in someone else to get that little bit of um, uh, like magical touch for them, etc. But I am curious to see where they go from here because if you if they rush back into a match with like the Dudley Boys and the Hardy Boys, etc., I am worried that they're going to burn the fans out. You need to give them time to appreciate the ladder match. Keep it keep it separate separate sorry for a month or two and then be able to continue on from there um i'm hoping we get some really good possible new matches out of it but we shall see yeah yeah totally um um i'm sorry i lost interest in your thing i'm still thinking about the big show dick uh, <laughs> move on move on i'm not with you uh chris jericho's backstage uh, stephanie and troy have got their back from their camera and their own conversation and Jericho walks up to him and asks, hey, have you guys, any of you seen the Godfather around? And then it turned around insulted and the implications are you confused them for holes, which is the beginning of a long thing for Chris Jericho and Stephanie. What I thought was funny after that is that you don't see the Godfather after that or any interaction with Jericho and Godfather. So Jericho clearly knew that they weren't hoes because like, <laughs> no, we don't see anything like Godfather after that. And we go straight. Oh, I say, no, I'm being ahead of a different segment. But then we go from that into an Albert Bubba Ray match. Because uh, they, they, their feud continued on Raw. I believe uh, Trish uh, demanded that uh, TNA go into the Dudley's locker room and beat the shit out of them, and they did. And so they're having this match. You know, Trish is allowing Albert to get the advantage with a distraction. Uh, but then Bubba ends up winning with the cutter. Tess goes to put him to the table. D1 hits him with a chair, and Bubba hits a splash to Albert to the table because, because you know, it's all about Trish potentially getting put to the table and bugger whatever Tess and Albert are doing. Um, so I I think 
the reason why it's all about Trish is, let's be honest, she is the best part of the actual trio because she is so good at leaning into this antagonistic attitude that can get the fans angry at her. She is really good at it. Um, And it's only in retrospect, really, that I think she gets as much credit as she does, considering how she only just joined less than, what, two months ago, something like that. Um, So having her involved is always going to be a positive because of the character work for it, but it is a bit of a disappointing match, I feel, because Alba is all over Bubba. And literally, Bubba just hits the cutter out of nowhere, and then they win. And I feel like that's really going to keep on damaging Tester now, but not only as a team, but as singles thrusters as well. Because, yeah, it's all very good them being able to control the majority of the match because this has happened before. They've done the same thing in tag team matches, but they keep on losing. They don't get the victories they need in order to actually be something worthwhile. And it gets really frustrating to see at times. Um, TNA trying to get revenge straight afterwards um, and the fact it backfires, it kind of makes sense. Um, it's a harmless match. It doesn't, it doesn't annoy me to some degrees. I just feel that there are some warning signs that occurs in this one at the moment, but um, it's... It's a harmless match that mostly is used to push an angle. And it's a good example of where, as we've just said, they're using the Dudley boys in a different um, match in order to try and put over other teams. And eventually you have to get something worthwhile out of it where you start getting victories for Test and Albert because otherwise they're going to be dead by King of the Ring. Easily, mm-hmm. and they stick around like a lot longer than that. So already, like they don't even have that much of a push to start with because they beat up Hedges for a bit and beat them at WrestleMania. Even before that, and since then, they've really taken a lot of quite a few losses already. So I don't know what the whole thing was. The whole like the more this this booking goes on, the more they're exposed as basically a platform for Trish to be on television. And we already know that that's what this is, but they don't need to make it so blatantly obvious that that's the thing. And, you know, it was so pointless. Like, you could just done a DQ with with a table spot at the end rather than a proper match, then then, and you would have probably come with the exact same thing. It just felt like the most pointless, I think, match you maybe had on this show. Um... I I'm not sure I'd agree with that. Uh, I don't think it's the most pointless. Uh, okay, maybe I'll think about it because I feel that there's another match coming up very shortly that is even more pointless, but it also has a lot of other negatives to it that could actually be um, of notice, shall we say. Yeah, I know the match you're talking about, and as you said, it's got a lot more going against it than just it being pointless, which is why I didn't think to mention that as the most pointless match of the, <laughs> the evening. And we go next... Oh, where are we? Uh, and so we go right back to Steffi with Jericho, and Jericho's now apologising. It's clear, you can see right through that he doesn't really, he's not really sorry, he's, he clearly thinks he was very hilarious. And so Stephanie said, oh, I wish you were looking at your match with Road Dog tonight. Before then revealing that it's actually a handicap match with Road Dog and X Pac, 
And then we have to go back for what I call more bad Blackman comedy. Uh, <laughs> that same old woman is, is heckling him. And so Al says to Blackman, uh, like, you know, try the heckler put down as I, I put in there for you. And so he rounds and goes, and he basically uses a your mama joke. And then this woman has the best line of any of these segments. She goes, my, my mother died in 1967, you insensitive jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not surprised by that quote because I imagine it's true. But um, I love the image of Steve Blackman having to defend himself from a, uh, from a heckle from an old lady. It's the sort of ridiculousness that I can believe Blackman and um, Alice Noah get involved in. But I'm not going to lie. I was still laughing at this point and I was still enjoying myself because I love me a bit of head cheese, as we know, because they are more entertaining than Kane. So, of course, I'm going to enjoy it. No, we, we agreed that Blackman was more entertaining. We didn't say anything about Alice Noah, that big time big fuck. Oh, so you're saying, so you are agreeing that Blackman is more entertaining than Kane? No. Until the article is published, I am agreeing with that as soon as that article is out, all bets are off. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. I can't wait for this. <laughs> anyway, despite the pleasure we've just gotten out of that segment, um, I think it's time to move on to the next one. Yeah, I mean, I, I will admit I did laugh at this segment, but not for 11. We still also mentioned that the segment ends with him taking out his nunchucks again and, and this old woman daring him to bring it and daring him to hit her. And as Al Snow tries to prevent it from happening, we don't see it happening. We don't even get a sound of it being implied like we did with the cow last week. We just uh, see them leaving in the next one, but we'll get to that later on. <laughs> but yeah, we have uh, the cat with the young taking on Terry and the Fabulous Miller. And oh boy, the segments on Raw that led to this. Oh boy. Do you know yeah. the, the first line I wrote about this bit was, ugh, and the show was going so well up until now. Yeah, you were wondering where the show would fall off here. It fell with... The gravity grabbed this by the balls and just dragged it straight fucking down. It pretty much ripped the balls off, I'd say. Oh, Christ. <laughs> exactly. So what happened on Raw was that you know, Terry tried to make it seem like she wanted to make amends with the cat, so she invited her out to this hair salon in LA to you know, make everything right. And so they go, and then she's sitting down, she's chatting to this stylist about what she wants, and then Terry takes a cup off her and said, oh, I'll get you, we'll get you a drink. And you can see in the background, she's putting something into the cat's drink, which we then learn caused her to fall asleep. So, And then while she was falling asleep, she wakes up, her hair has been cut short, and her hair was green when she woke up, and as well as her makeup's been all smeared all over, and Terry and the stylist are laughing at her, they're calling her trash and everything, and she's crying. And that's the last we see of them on Raw, and then uh, the cat comes out with a different hair look. I think she just wanted to cut her hair or do something different from it. And they just like, oh, in storyline, I speak to her hair has been changed because this is what Terry Reynolds did to her. And Miller and Mae Young are here because reasons. Oh. Because Terry Lawler still has a few dozen old jokes still left in his notes. 
from WrestleMania that he didn't get to use. And so we have to find an excuse for it here. And we're really gutted we missed out on those jokes. So Terry and the cat do a thing where they're kind of rolling around on the floor as and the kind of cat fights tell you like what a lot of them are forced to do at this year. And Michael Cole says, Well, look at these two, they're going counter for counter. <coughs> I'm sorry, are, what are you watching? I, I use the phrase character like I don't know if Dean Malenko had a match with Eddie Guerrero or mm. Benoit with Jericho or even fucking any match with any of the top wrestlers going today, I'd say they'd have a match that was going counter for counter. I would not describe that for this match. There's a lot of descriptions I would have for this match. Those words are not any of them. Um, I'm already thinking to myself at this point um, that the storyline is quite worrying about the fact that uh, basically the cat got um, roofied um, and I'm thinking, I bet the hairdressers are really glad that they didn't have Yelp back then um, because they should, They basically should have been fired or arrested because they ended up roofing someone. Um, what pains me, I think, is the fact that this is the match that should have occurred at WrestleMania, which would have made more sense, but any positive of it be of actually making sense is that it's balanced out by the fact that this is basically four minutes of Jerry Lawler with his dick in his hand as Terry and Kat wrestle with huge big quotation marks attached and then has his hands over his eyes as May and Mueller out wrestle the other two with, with ease, despite the fact that probably a combined 150 plus years old. And <laughs> um, it's like, so I, 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 I'm going on around now. You can basically tell um, there is a section where during it, Jerry Lawler says, this is getting good. I think they almost kissed and I could feel oh, a legitimate God. part of my soul shrink. And, it finished up with the double Bronco Buster, which you'll obviously explain in detail, but I legitimately believe that might have been when King finally blew his load. <laughs> I forgot about the hand thing said and saying they nearly kissed, so thank you for reminding me of that. And I was lost part of my soul as well. Uh, see, I get what you're saying about why this could have occurred at WrestleMania, and I think we learned quickly why it didn't occur at WrestleMania, because honestly, like, Saying that they were wrestled by Mill and May is not a good thing because you see on the East to get into the ring. I mean, you weren't here for the episode shortly after No Mercy, like a week or so after No Mercy, where we had Miller, which he randomly won the women's title for a couple of weeks, defending it against May Young and a match that seemed like they were wrestling while they were both stuck in quicksand. And that was very much the same as we got here. And I just put bad monkey lips by Miller because she tries it twice to do it and it's not like that's not even that's an understatement of how shit this looked. It wasn't a movie she'd even have been attempting. There's a point where Miller there's barely any contact you just between the two and one of them just falls over and the crowd are sent the crowd aren't even laughing at it. It's just they're just not into this at all. Uh they are into Terry throwing water over the cat because he tits uh Bronco there's Bronco Busters. Uh, the cat spears Miller at one point, and Me Young hits the slowest, like elbow drop. I mean, it may as well have been slow motion on Miller 
for the win. God, why did this match happen? The show was going so well, as you said. I ever, I thought after we had that match months ago between Miller and me that we wouldn't get to see them wrestle anymore. But I was sadly wrong. Why do they keep making these poor old women? Well, there's one poor old woman in this horrible human being who definitely trafficked women back in the 70s uh, wrestle in a ring. It's, it's, uh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. It's it's really disappointing considering that up until this point, I was really enjoying this this show. Actually, I was every, there was nothing up to this point was a negative to the point that I hated it. Everything had some form of positive. Even Albert versus Bubba had it that it was allowing the Dudley boys to interact with a different team. It was expanding the tag team division and it was pushing an angle. Um, Anything, any of the other segments were going well. I was liking them. I know you're not as big a fan of Steve Blackman and Al Snow as I am, but even you had a slight chuckle at one point, which is more than this got. Um, the rating I would give this match wouldn't even be a number or a letter. It would just be an, uh, and that's I would, it. I would, if you want to get a rating, I could wait till the next time I need to take a massive shit, uh, take a photo of that shit before I flush it and then send it to you and say, that's what I would rate this match. You know, I think, uh, that's, that's why I'm not as respected for my opinions about wrestling as someone like a Dave Meltzer is. Melter would never say that. No, he would. He would just give it negative stars, whereas you would give it um, negative toilet flushes, uh, <laughs> basically. So it's yeah. That, that, that's how you, that's how you should judge bad segments. Like how big a shit are they? How many flushes would it take to flush that shit away? <laughs> if, it, if it's two, if it's two or more, then you know it's very bad. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the point where you go, damn, that's a that really stinked the arena out. So, and this one definitely stung the arena out. This was like this was like the panic cleanser shite that you needed from all the good you'd had so far. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, up next, we've got Chris Jericho taking on X Polk and the Road Dog. And so Jericho saying, like, well, I, thought, I seem to have offended Stephanie and Tori. And so, given that he's already in a standing United States, I feel like I'm going to go all in on this. And Basically starts throwing him more insults and basically calls Stephanie a trash bag hoe, and that won't be for the last time. And I think there's a big there's a big segment for Daryl coming up on the next Raw, which actually stopped them from leaving when he had thoughts of leaving around this time, thinking that the different hadn't been all it was cracked up to be. And given how little effort he seems to really put in this segment, I'm not saying well with the effort he's, he's still being Jericho, he's still very charismatic, but you can tell Jericho doesn't want to be doing handicap matches against X fucking Road Dog. Um, I think the real reason behind that is probably the fact that, according to Jericho's book, when I read it, um, he had mentioned the fact that at one point he got chewed out by Vince McMahon saying that basically Jericho couldn't work. And in order to learn how to work, he would wrestle X Pac for the next couple of months. And that was literally all he would wrestle. So this probably felt like the culmination of that where it's just like, 
he's not enjoying his wrestling. He's been told supposedly that his contract isn't worth the paper it's written on. He's he's now gone gone from wrestling X Pack on house shows to actually wrestling him on actual shows that are being broadcast to pe- people. And he's probably thinking to himself, "Why the fuck did I even bother?" Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, because like you got chewed out over the whole China thing. Because like China claimed old Jericho's work too stiff with me. Even though China said that she wanted to be like feel like one of the guys and everything, and then Jer- and then I went to Triple H, but then got to Vince, and Vince chewed out Jericho. According to Jericho, and he's but see, uh, he said that Vince's equal was Jericho wasn't worth the paper his contract was printed on. Mm. But then like he got paired with China for so long, he was happy to get rid of China. But then it's clear that the time they didn't have any plans for him. Then it's like that we got the same that we get on Raw, but the match itself is you know serviceable. You mean DX uses two on one to you know, get the advantage? You know, it's just another enemy for the DX McMahon regime to have. Uh, Jericho does hit the power bomb on Xbox, he locks in the walls Jericho on Toy, which he tries to get involved, but it gives Xbox opening to recover and hit Jericho the X Factor. Well, de- definitely not terrible as bad as the match we've seen before it, or even as pointless as the Albert match but it's still meh the fact that this was meant to be the original main event of the show um, (laughs) because we all know I love a running gag um, uh, Chris Jericho versus X-Pac was never going to be a great choice for a main event I think not because they're bad workers. I just feel it's a very underwhelming choice Um, and I actually feel that Road Dog is even uh, is even weaker and he would, uh, he would make it worse. So it's hard to really enjoy a handicap match um, in general, but the, the Jericho puts in a strong performance. Um, he almost outsmarts his opponent, and they get, and it's not, not until Tori interferes really that he loses the match. And that makes Jericho look relatively strong. And as a, as an as a as a story as a story and as an angle, this match is good. As a wrestling match, it's not great. Um, the best part of it, really, I would say, is his infamous quote of describing Stephanie Mann as the filthiest, dirtiest, most disgusting, skankiest, brutal, bottom feeding trash bag hole that he has ever ever seen in his life and following that up with the line damn i feel better now i remember (laughs) that line for about 20 plus years because of how damn good it was and what you what you never really want is the promo to be better than the match but when it's a promo that damn good um you can understand it it was it was a match that occurred that achieved what it needed to. Chris Jericho being punished for his comments to Stephanie and Toy, and it's basically more the only reason this match is going to matter is because it's pretty much the start of Jericho's push. Mm-hmm. It, it it just isn't great by itself. It's um it it is it just is a match. That's it. So yeah, it, it's just there. Uh, we're going to, like, this would have been the final match of the show, I agree, but I don't think it would have been the main event, because clearly the main event would have been a segment that's going to come up in a minute, and I'll get to that. But first we have Al Snow and Steve Blackman fleeing the old folks home, 
as uh, Al Snow was yelling at Steve Lee, you can't go around using nunchucks on 80-year-old women. She started it. And then as they're getting to the car, they can hear police sirens in the distance. So they, so they try to get out of there because clearly someone's called the police about for blackmail assaulting an elderly woman. And police annoying is, or an ambulance. I feel an ambulance is going to be more likely. Yeah, but like I like to think better more so that's the police somehow because and it annoys me that they've caught they've finished the Arsenal Blackman segments here because the most entertaining thing they could have done is what they didn't show us is Arsenal and Blackman trying to flee from the police because Blackman couldn't help but hit an old woman with nunchucks. Just Arsenal trying to reason with the cops while the Blackman's just you know going all fast and furious trying to get away from the cops. Fast and Furious, head, she- head cheese drift. I love it. Uh, I would totally watch that. <laughs> Let us know on Twitter at Rogue underscore things. Who's got more range, do you think, as an actor, Steve Blackman or Vin Diesel? Um, I think my pet rock has more um, range than both of them, but <laughs> Steve Blackman's more entertaining. I mean, is it any coincidence that <laughs> Vin Diesel's most iconic role at the minute is playing a tree? A literal tree. It's like, the same range as one. I mean, it used to be that being a tree was what you gave to the least talented kid at your school play. Now it's what you give to one of the biggest movie stars so that they could be in a Marvel movie. And their their lines consist of, I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. And we are Groot. Yeah. Because like when you look at Finn Diesel, he is the luckiest bastard in the world. Because like he does, he does that. Like also on the other page, it tells him well what he's maybe feeling at that point, what he means by the particular "I am group." But even then, that's a couple of, a day or so at most in the recording booth. He doesn't even do the mocap for a group. That's somebody else doing most of the physical stuff, and then he gets paid a shitload of money for that. And then for some reason, he still they keep paying him millions to drive in a fast car, have somebody else probably do sh- shit stunts that don't make any sense and every so often they found the scene going family one less family something something corona i mean they're drinking up the the virus yeah 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 i i gathered that thankfully because i've seen the movies but um i mean i mean i mean they could if they could do a thing where that where vindy's character where his name is and fast and outruns the coronavirus itself in a car they probably would Oh, I 100% believe that. They totally would. Um, but we have to take into account that according to Vin Diesel, um, Fast and Furious 7 should have been nominated for an Oscar. Obviously, maybe we're just not the right audience to appreciate the tremendous range that he brings to the role. I mean, if anybody is a regular listener to Rogue Pains and is a fan of the Naked Man podcast that Nathan does with his friend Ben, uh, they did an episode not too long ago about the fact that, uh, well, it's a podcast now, because uh, Justin Lennon, I think it is, who directs some of the Fast and Furious movies, talked about the possibility of combining the world of Fast and Furious with the world of Jurassic World. I think I would gladly pay to see um, Dom in a Mercedes whatever, driving down, um, being chased by a T-Rex or Spinosaurus. I would totally be up for that as long as he accidentally crashes and gets eaten by Velociraptors. Yeah, we're not that lucky. But on to this next segment, a segment that was clearly, clearly went longer at the table itself, but they soon realised this doesn't work. But instead of cutting it entirely, they played some of it, 
then randomly cut to backstage and then never talk about it again. Where Stephanie comes out with Muffy, her quote-unquote personal fit trainer, it was just a random blonde woman with a, a microphone kind of in the side of her mouth, you know, like those weird motivational speakers tend to have. And it sounds like going, yeah, yeah, while Stephanie runs down the, the appearance of the fans. And basically she's the skull to her bulk. She's that weird like uh, bully that stands beside the main bully and backs them up, whatever they say. And basically then she gets Muffy, says that Muffy's going to help the WWF fans the same way she helped definitely get in shape and she just called it I'm doing you all a favour as the WWF Women's Champion to be your role model and help you all feel, live better lives and then Muffy starts playing music and trying to get, encourage everybody to get up and do these random exercises and in the midst of her talking cuts backstage to the Rock and the Acolytes just why why <sighs> I do you know what? This is legitimately one of my least favorite segments from history. Um, I remember watching it live. I remember even then, at the age of 10, saying, What is this bollocks that I'm watching? Um, ever since then, it became like a standing joke for like, um, like if someone appeared and did really badly, I'd be like, Oh, well, as long as they can last longer than Muffy. Um, yeah, it just was awful, absolutely awful. It was pointless. It was boring. It was basically a 10, 10 minutes of um, uh, Stephanie McMahon going on about how much better she is than everyone else. And it's like, Steph, we already have an hour of that of your husband doing the exact same thing. Can you not just shut up and go away? Um, and that sort of thing. And I took no pleasure out of it. And then it gets even worse by the fact that you end up having it, that she's in the ring, you cut to backstage with The Rock and APA, and then it cuts back to Triple H entering with Stephanie coming out with him when surely it would have made more sense for her to still be in the ring. So it ends up being even more stupid because it shows a complete and utter mistake has occurred. And all it ends up doing is pissing me off. That was awful. It was pointless. It was unnecessary. I, I could have gone the rest of my life with never having to see that um, segment and I wouldn't have missed anything. I remember seeing it coming along the timeline of the uh, like the segments you can skip to on the, the network when I was watching this episode. I expected very little and somehow got even less when I saw this, when we just cut backstage to The Rock and randomly asking the accolades that potentially they'd been bought off by bought off by DX and then they just refused to answer, which is a random plot point to have going to this because I know the whole thing about the accolades is that you know they don't really work for anybody, they work for themselves, they go whoever can pay them the most or get them beer. But is like usually you think a random a storyline of kind of rock trusties tag partners would be a thing they try and like play that throughout the evening before I think they forgot it and think, oh shit, let's just throw this pre tape together rock, ask these guys if you can trust them. I, it's a very last minute um introduction that you would then you would it <laughs> 
I kind of like it to some degrees in that it's almost like playing on the expectations you have, making you feel like, oh, the APA are going to be paid off and going to betray betray him and uh, everyone everyone's going to be angry at them, etc. And really, you're just like, you've not, that is just a bit of filler. It's It just ends up being filler. Um, way too late for you to actually make a mention of that. Um, in order to make it worthwhile. It doesn't even come into play, really, during the actual match itself. Um, it just... <sighs> the Okay, so the first half of the show was really good. You obviously said that the second half could be where it falls off the cliff. I would say so. I would say not necessarily, but it's where the little moments start to fail more than they achieved, which is in contrast to the first half. I think it's fair to say that, you know, it flew off the cliff into the water and then it got to the bottom of the water and then the ocean floor started uh, opening up and dragging the show down. But then as the main event started, a hand came out and started pulling it out of the water. And that's what we got with the six-man tag because the six-man tag is actually as good as I hoped it would be. I have to admit, I thought that the this is we said before, and it, like it's been a while since there's been a SmackDown main event we've actually looked forward to, and I I thought this was I'm not going to say a perfect main event, but I think it was the right main event required for a SmackDown show because it had everything you wanted. It had a huge big star in The Rock coming out who gets the biggest reaction possible. It's got the big heels in Triple H and and, uh, basically everyone around him. It's got opportunities for uh, wrestlers such as APA and Bossman and Bobby Cannon to get that main event moment, etc. It's even got a relatively strong... Um, story being told and having Farouk as the one in peril and Shane McMahon interfering as he as he usually does, etc. And that doesn't even include the entire storyline with Al Hebner, which I have to admit I fucking loved. I, by that point, they had built it up just enough that when everything happened, I was completely into it and cheering. I will not lie. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the same. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's not a perfect match because, like. They do, they do do a thing with uh, one of the members of the face team getting like isolated. And usually, I don't, I don't have anything against them doing that in a, like a multi-man tie, like a six-man match. But like they do it for all three members of the of the face team. Like one of them comes in, gets a short burst, gets worked over, tags in somebody else who comes in, gets a short burst, and then gets worked over. It was still a, a fun match to to watch. You know, the start. But Rock quickly deals with boss man, and you can kind of buy himself quite quickly, showing that he didn't really need anybody. Then also get distracted by Triple H, and I said also got the rinse repeat of faces being worked over. And then yeah, Hebner that continues that he shoves uh, Shane off the apron, and there's a bit of a brawl with DX coming in and APA uh, fight with uh, DX over at the back, and uh, we ended up ending the show with Shane getting put through a table, and you know, but Shane taking these kind of bumps that's uh, you know not the worst thing to see causing the show. So there you go, two two weeks in a row, then SmackDown. I remember the McMahon family has gotten their comeuppance, which given the last few years when you see McMahon's, that was like something you didn't often see. I didn't mind the finish. I thought that it was wonderfully chaotic. Um, I thought the hot tie to the rock was fantastic. Um, 
the brawl between all six of them was perfectly timed. I thought uh, the Acolytes being able to clear out Bossman and Bobby Cannon leaving Triple H alone with the three of them was a really great moment. It's something that the fans were um, infested in and were hoping to see. Um, Having DX interfere isn't much of a surprise, but you do end up having that the crowd is willing to walk on as he's trying to get revenge on Triple H, on Shane, on basically everyone involved, and ending it with the rock bottom to Shane for the announce table as Triple H is running away up the ramp. Even though it's not an actual finish, it it still works, and it's a main event that really sets the crowd alight. Um, and I... I really enjoyed it. I had a one. I had a wonderful time watching that main event. It was what was needed. It. It's no. It's not a classic. It's not something I'm going to watch again. But it suited the show, and it basically finished it off perfectly. I'd say, um, in in terms of how they had it mixed up. Um, overall, great time. I have to say, in this match. And it left you wanting to see what would happen next, which is all that a show should do is make you want to see the next event. Whereas, unfortunately, the last couple of weeks, you'd finish an episode of SmackDown and you'd basically just want to go drown your sorrows. Here, I find myself wanting to celebrate an episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Rock Loki is the best hot tag potentially of all time. And I know there'll be a lot of people that disagree that. Disagree that I know, like, see so your junk around and say, "No, Ricky Moran was this hot tag in the business." I go, "Shut up!" Yeah. Rock and Roll Express had had a double drop kick as a finisher, and they were considered exciting because people were stupid back then. They didn't have as much excitement in their lives. But the Rock has one of the best hot tags of all time. I will argue that to my dying day. And uh, DX going to get involved. Okay, keeps uh, AP and going to mix now there, basically because by association with their their enemies of the regime. Uh, This does continue to backlash with also Brock Scarface Triple H there, and I do believe they'll soon announce APA versus Black uh, Bossman and Buchanan, which uh, I'll look forward to. I'm sure that'll be just a poor big guy just beating the fuck out of each other. (laughs) Sometimes it's nice, you know, big men slapping all sorts of meat. Sometimes that's all I need in life. (laughs) That's definitely all we need, and that's us to the end of this episode. And again, like I said, we we had some real trundle to wade through, some real shit to, to have to try not step in, in the right in the middle of the show, but we managed to finish on a high. But what does that mean for ratings, Sam? What would your rating be for this episode? And what match or moment would you recommend people go back and check out if they had to just choose just one? Okay. Um... So my overall thoughts currently are is that um, I would say if you shorten the Triple H Shane Love Fest by a few minutes and you remove the awful ladies match in the Muffy segment, I would pretty much have no issues with this episode at all. And I would go so far as to say that this is probably the best SmackDown show we've seen so far because it has excellent pacing without uh throughout sorry uh it there's the there's only very free minimal negatives which is the ones i've mentioned because every match is either pushing the storyline along or it's just a good television match there was the perfect mix of chaotic action with the two main events um it, uh between like 
Jericho in the handicap match and then the six-man tag team match. Uh, there was hardcore matches. There was technical wrestling. There was tag team. Even some fun with the big show. Um, it says something when the last couple of weeks, I'd end up being like, I would remove half the matches because they're awful. This week, I would legitimately say the only match I would remove would be the ladies match. Um for me, it's a thumbs up without question. Um, I'm going to go with just one thumbs up um, because those three negatives, why minimal enough that um, it doesn't ruin the episode for me? It does mean that it stops it from being a two thumbs up, which would be an episode you have to watch. Um, but it is probably the strongest overall episode, I would say, that we've seen so far. Um, and my recommendation would actually be the Hardy Boys versus Benoit and Malenko, because even though you will see better matches from all four of them, this feels like a match that really signifies a change of the guard. That WWF was starting to introduce longer matches on your weekly shows. And they were also starting to focus a little bit more on technical wrestling as opposed to just punch kick. Um, but I will say the main event is a close second because it's a very kinetic and fast-paced and chaotic atmosphere it has tremendous heat from the crowd you have the popularity of the rock which is always wonderful to see and also you finish up with shane getting rock bottom for a table and who doesn't want to see that mm-hmm. i agree i think for me the fact that so many of the matches are sacrificed for the sake of just being angles rather than anything that's actually like worth watching i think is gonna keep me from giving it one sense i've been keeping it Kind of a thumbs in the middle, but my thumb slowly puts really moving towards up, so not a middling show, but there's still a lot to offer here. But yeah, that the Muffy stuff, that women's tag, and like some of the matches kind of being more angles than anything else, you know, with the except with the occasional exception of like the main event and that tag match you mentioned, which are great options. So I'm kind of in a bit of middle there. If a few more matches, a few more of the matches have been a bit better, and I would have been a one thumbs up much like yourself, but I agree it's not a must-see one that would be worthy of a, a two thumbs up. Uh, the main event is also a close second for me, but I think the middle of it is a bit too rinse for Pete uh, in terms of like the faces being like worked over three on one. Uh, so I think I'll go with, like, if you want to show an example of you know, the fast-pacing chaos of this era in a good way, I'd actually recommend uh, Perry Saturn versus Crash for the hardcore title, especially for the shenanigans of Perry Saturn's a champion. No, now it's Taz. Now it's Crash Holly again. <laughs> and, he's, and, he's going, and that just shows the fun... And why Crash Holly's t- t- reign as hardcore champion is so fondly remembered. I think it's a really good sign that there are probably three matches to some degrees that we would both be happy to recommend. And maybe even another one, I wouldn't be surprised if we would be willing to recommend to watch just because overall it's a fun show. Um, and the positives far outweigh the negatives, which doesn't happen as often as we would like. Um, It's definitely a case of where at the end of it, we've had more fun than we probably have in the last few episodes. And it sort of reignites when actually enjoying watching these episodes again. It's starting to feel like this is where, yes, this is worth having gone through those really terrible episodes because we're starting to get some good stuff. And I'm actually excited to see the next show 
Whereas like last time, I think I was a step away from handing in my lanyards and my pass cards and saying, uh, get someone else to do this shit, please. Because uh, <laughs> of how freaking awful it was. Um, I think we all know that secretly uh, Sam was causing his own technical issues because he was so hesitant to talk about to watch the next episode because <laughs> he after the last week because he wasn't he didn't know he didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it, there was a light at the tunnel. I thought it was the freaking train coming to hit me, um, so <laughs> my expectation was low. But this has given me a bit of hope again to see what happens next. And the next show may not be as good, but I feel like there's, I'm seeing enough good currently being set up that I want to see what happens next. Yeah, me too. And I think this is a real same improvement. It back to 2000 is remembered as what basically WrestleMania should have been. This is a show that really deserved the title of WrestleMania backlash more so than this past year's backlash deserved it. <laughs> and I'm uh, really much looking forward to it. We're hot on the road now, and hopefully, technology will allow us to continue to bring you episodes of this. And we hope that you guys will go and check out past episodes and yeah, the Rogue Opinions back catalogue. But uh, so we talked about my upcoming, uh, really uh, my upcoming articles about like so Steve Blackman. But I, I've heard you when you're not here talking of your opinions on the year 2000. Are also known for a few articles. So why don't you tell the people about that? So uh, some of the articles I'm currently focused on at the moment are primarily going to be for WrestleJoy, where I'm doing a look at Shinsuke Nakamura's uh, historical um, reigns as the IWGP Intercontinental Champion, again, in recognition of the recent loss of the title, being um, which has left some fans um, a little bit, unhappy about and i'm thinking i want to look at the positives of what the title once was especially with someone like nakamura i'm also still working on the um best in the world article series where i'm looking at cm punk as the wwe champion for 400 plus days um currently in the daniel bryan section where they have several absolute blockbuster matches against each other and I have to admit it's the sort of trip down memory roads that I'm really enjoying. Uh, I'm doing a slightly uh, personal niche article for WrestleJoy looking at a local wrestling company uh, and how they dealt with the coronavirus pandemic and lockdown Um, and I'm also currently possibly thinking of starting a series for a TNA Best of Five series but I'll go into more detail Mm -hmm. Once I'm certain, um, but you can find me as always on WrestleJoy, and you could find me at Big Badder Bruce on Twitter. That's a uh, Bravo Indigo Golf, Bravo Alpha Delta Alpha, Bravo Romeo Uniform Charlie Echo. Cool. Well, I'm very interested when you mention that potential uh, TNA series. Uh, so I'll make sure I keep an eye out for that. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter at McLean1996. And you can find Rogue Bains at Rogue underscore Bains on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can take it back on past episodes of this show. Uh, take out the Mandalorian podcast. Uh, that should be up hopefully this weekend as well with myself and Carl. And this past week, our first ever guest joined us, my friend uh, Daniel Campbell from Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, uh, joined us to talk about episode seven of season two. And we're going to talk, be talking about the finale next week of season two, uh, one of the most like 
probably one of the best episodes the show has ever done. And we can confirm now that me and Carl will be joined by none other than Samuel Preston himself will be joining us there. So uh, Carl is making sure he's he's not used to podcasts that will go as long as like go as long as this episode probably will. So you know he's very preparing, you know, because he can't settle down for too long a period at his age, you know, otherwise he'll lose he'll lose the use of his legs. <laughs> Um, if we if we need to, every time there's a, there would be a normal ad break, we can just say, Carl, do you need to go for a walk just to get some feelings back in your legs and that sort of thing? But I am very much looking forward to this episode. I'm very curious to see um, how the opinions will probably differ between the out and out fan, the not as big a fan, and then the me who normally can't stand Star Wars. So this could be exciting. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting, and uh, people are probably wondering. Well, Scott, you've got Scott the Mandalorian, but you guys talked about the fact that the Mandalorian isn't going to be burned at least sometime in twenty twenty two. Potentially, what are you going to do? You guys talked about potentially doing the Bad Batch. We've got some plans for what me and Carl are going to do to continue podcasting. I keep Team Godfather alive, but you'll have to stay tuned very soon to hear about that. Uh, you can also hear the Rogue Chronicles with Carl and Liam. Uh, talking about famous villains, the most recent episode they were joined by Nathan to talk about Hannibal Lecter. Uh, Nathan's still producing content with uh, Ben for for uh, the Naked Men podcast. Uh, we're gonna go. We're going back to the idea of a randomly generated, like using a random generator to determine a pay view. Two of you, or myself, Reen, and Nathan, are going to try and get our schedules together to uh, to review a pay view that's already been decided what it's going to be. We'll just have to wait till the review comes out. And uh, speaking of just having to wait for things, I am starting, I'm going to be recording with me in the first episode of a new series that will be coming to Rogue Opinions that I'm very excited about. And I hope it comes out as well as I hope. And I hope you guys enjoy it when it does come out. More details again that to follow. Eat, uh, Sleep, 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 that I mentioned them. Uh, I've been doing work with Daniel because uh, he does a lot for the East Side YouTube channel with shows like uh, Book It, which is a fantasy booking series where two people get given a particular ear or a particular type of card to put together and have to pile it out to see who comes out on top. And he also produces a show called Quiz Showdown, which I'll be hosting the latest edition of, and a quiz I put together, which will talk, which will cover everything from the first show without fans uh, for WWE up until now. And this quiz I'm calling Quiz Showdown 12 Beyond Thunderdome. And that will be coming out to our YouTube channel sometime in July. And that's about everything I think uh, that we can possibly plug. I know things are starting to open again, but, you know, people are still getting vaccinated. Things are still uncertain to how much freedom we can get. So if you're still heads to be going outside, we've got plenty of content to keep you entertained for the coming week. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's it for everything. So uh, we're going to wrap this up and we'll just say to everybody, goodbye. Goodbye.